Hello, hello, and here we are again together today for another episode of High Time for Change. Um, again, thanks so much for joining me. Um, wanted to open up with, again, thanking everyone for their wonderful feedback and for reaching out to me. I'm so honored that I'm having some type of benefit in your life. Um, I wanted to kind of visit a topic. I've been getting a lot of outreach from people, and that's exactly what I want. But I wanted to clarify the type of contact that I want and the type of help that I can provide. Most of the help that I can provide on all these subjects, I'm doing it through my podcast uh, project. I don't want to hear from um, men, either men that I used to know or men I do not know, in a romantic or sexual capacity. I'm in a relationship, and that's not going to change. And I also am not able to help people with needing money, um, needing me to spend an excessive amount of time researching some sort of help that they could get, or getting you personally into rehab. I can't do all that. I used to do all that 24 hours a day and it literally almost killed me. So there are ways I can help you and ways I'm willing to, and there are ways that I just can't right now. So hopefully everyone can understand that. Um, I'm going to go ahead and do my standard disclaimer. I am not yet a licensed medical professional. I am a student and I'm speaking from my heart, my experience, my education, my rehabilitation, the research I've done, and the experiences of those close to me. Any information presented on my podcast or any of the associated media platforms will be researched and verified. If you vibe with my advice and if I raise your awareness, that is wonderful. But it is not, however, a substitute for professional help from a medical or psychiatric provider. If you need urgent professional help, please seek it. Um, starting with the show, I'm also going to adi- uh, issue an additional disclaimer since we will be sharing actual stories starting today. Uh, Any person described or depicted in this podcast has the option to be referred to by a pseudonym if they desire. This is merely for their privacy and their comfort, and it should not detract from the credibility of their story. All material regarding a given person on this podcast will be disclosed only with their express permission, and no names or explicitly identifying information of anyone will be broadcast without the person's express permission unless it regards a matter of public record. Please just listen to the stories and don't worry about who the subject is. Uh, That's going to serve us all the best. Uh, Moving on, the title of my show today is Holding Back the Years, uh, The Stages of Approaching Healing Trauma. I was going to name this show Mercy Street after the beautiful song by Peter Gabriel, but I decided on this song. Uh, It's one of my favorites of all time, and it's usually a song that I cannot get through listening to or even reading the lyrics without crying. Um, The artist uh, for this song is Simply Red uh, from their album Picture Book, which came out in 1985. Um, Simply Red was a British soul band, and their lead singer, Mick Hucknall, was widely regarded as the prodigious blue-eyed soul singer. This band actually had 10 hits in the top 10 during the heyday of their career, and I just love this song. I've loved it since it came out, and I was nine years old, and I still felt it super deeply then. Um, Here's a selection of the lyrics that I kind of drew off of today. (sighs) Okay, am I going to not cry? I'm betting against myself, but here we go. Holding back the years, the chance for me to escape from all I've known. Holding back the tears, because nothing here has grown. Okay, I already failed, but whatever. I can't hold back the tears. Okay, continuing. I've wasted all my years, wasted all those years, and nothing ever had the chance to be good, and nothing ever could. I just think that's really powerful. I think so many people can relate with that, and I hate the fact that so many people can, but that's why I love music and media. It connects people and universal feelings and thoughts and states of being um, without singling anyone out. You know, it it just depicts something that happens to everyone in a palatable way that we can digest it, which is in popular media. And I'll have a whole other show about popular media and all of these issues, but that's a later day. Um, We're going to go ahead and talk about the point at which you get to wanting to turn the whole ship around. Um, One of my favorite stories, movies, whatever of all time is and always has been A Christmas Carol by Charles Dickens, often better known as Scrooge, whatever. Um, There's a line in this. It says, um, Scrooge is 
you know, tormented by a ghost for the first time. And he says, who are ye? And the ghost of Jacob Marley answers, ask me who I was. So with trauma, people kind of come to a watershed moment when the cumulative effect of trauma, uh, unhealthy coping habits and disordered thinking and just dysfunctional environments become untenable. And untenable means just you can't bear it anymore. It's unable to be sustained. Or when they are directly intervened upon and compelled to seek some kind of treatment, or else their entire way of life is threatened. So they need to comply. And this is something that we've seen on the popular A&E show Intervention, another thing that I've always loved. Um, So those are basically the ways that people come to this moment of truth. And it really takes everyone a totally different time period to come to this point because it all has to do with your tolerance of pain and misery and bullshit. Uh, Some people have a line that is, you know, sooner to cross and some people, you know, keep piling on trauma on top of other unhealed trauma, you know, higher and higher and higher until, you know, they're, they're later in age. So you really can't predict when a person will come to this point. It just has to do with their personal standards or how many of their personal standards they even have left. So can't predict it, but everyone gets to it. Not everyone makes it out of it, but I'm pretty sure that everybody gets to a moment of clarity when their life has gone too wrong for too long. Um, Let's revisit before we share a personal story. uh, Some of the manifestations of trauma. Uh, obviously, we've got chemical addictions. You know, we've already covered a lot about that, and we're only going to cover more and more. Um, abnormal attachments, um, like unhealthy attractions to people that are negative for you, and then toxic relationships. You know, it reminds me of that song by Falling in Reverse and the beautiful Ronnie Radke, um, Why Did Uh, good girls love bad boys. And of course, when I saw this, uh, my brother-in-law exposed me to this. And I saw it. And of course, I was like, yes, I love bad boys. Oh, my God, look at Ronnie. I mean, I'm literally I was 45 years old at the time that I reacted that way. And it's just, it's just emblematic of who I was and who I'm working to change. And you know, and another favorite song of mine, Good Girl Gone Bad by the gorgeous and prolific and talented Yellow Wolf. Um, you know, just textbook things, people who never had normal attachments, and never had any successful models in their life, there's no way they're going to know how to, to create or sustain a healthy relationship. I'm not just talking, you know, boyfriend, girlfriend, marriage, I'm talking boss, friends, everyone. Um, There's usually a lack of adult constructive life skills, Um, which is okay when you're a child. That's expected. Of course, you don't have life skills. They have to be instilled within you or you have to experience things and adapt to them. Uh, Later in life, uh, lack of adult constructive life skills is a serious danger for obvious reasons. Um, You're an emancipated adult. You're expected unless you're, you know, functionally uh, precluded from doing so. You're expected to be self-sufficient. You're expected to manage your own life, your money, whatnot. So many people have had literally absolutely no experience in that. And, you know, that's kind of what we had a joke at, at the rehab I was in. And we would just sometimes, I had, I had a somewhat small, maybe higher minded group of people. I don't want to say we were better than anyone else. That's totally not it. We were just sort of on the same mental wavelength. And, you know, we, we like to crack jokes and, you know, be casual, catty observers of, of life. But um, we used to say, uh, kind of sneer in the direction of the offenders, you know, home training, you know, and home training is uh, just basically how well life skills and uh, the rules of polite society and for interacting with people successfully, uh, if those were ever instilled in you or not. Um, You know, children need life skills and coping skills training not just food and shelter. There's so much more to raising a child than just bearing it life and then feeding it and keeping it under a roof and giving it water. You know, they need to learn how to interact with other people successfully and politely, not to alienate people, how to get what they need in a legitimate above board way that's, you know, polite and not imposing upon others. This is a lifelong 
process. You don't even have your child all, you know, trained per se by 18 years old. Your obligation does not end there by far. Uh, You brought the child into the world. You are its creator and example. And, you know, that obligation continues until the child passes away or you pass away. Um, It's not just the age of majority by far. Um, uh, These people also tend to have problems with income and money management. This goes back to like the no adult life skills and the impulsivity and just the immature uh, expectations for life. Um, There's excessive risk taking uh, as far as risking things like your career and your shelter for stupid shit, basically. Um, they also tend to have an aversion to stability or quote, being bored. You know, Mikey, any time that he was, you know, sentient and conscious, he was constantly busy. You know, the electronics, the phones, the computers, taking stuff apart, cleaning the bathroom, cleaning the kitchen. And I'm not talking, you know, he was all iced out and doing that. He was just a person who was very uncomfortable with silence and his own thoughts and not having something to very busily do and distract him. You know, hence the video games and all the tinkering and the, you know, electronic stuff. He was literally never without something in his hands working on it. Um, Traumatized people um, also exhibit a lot of emotional immaturity. Um, Their emotional development tends to stop at the onset of their trauma, and they do not, you know, markedly emotionally mature past that age. Uh, They have unreasonable expectations of others, like their partners, And they also go into a very deep spiral when things get difficult, hence the no coping skills. Uh, They make immature and impulsive choices due to no guidance early on. They tend to overlove others in order to get love back or to feel needed or validated. So before we tell um, this remarkable woman's story, I just wanted to go back over some of the ways that trauma can manifest in our lives after we suffer it and when we continue to suffer it. Um, Here's where I'm going to start sharing a personal story of someone really special to me who I love very much and care about very much. Um, We're going to call her Nellie. Um, She's a relative of mine um, in my extended family. She's a middle-aged white woman. Um, She's attractive. She's fun. She's the life of the party. She's a very loving person. Um, She's also a mother of two, and currently she's retired slash disabled. Um, she's the type of person who makes a lot of acquaintances and has a lot of people in her life, but they are not, you know, by and large valuable people. They're not loyal people. They do not have resources to help her the way she helps them or the way they request help. And they're not reliable. They also don't have an emotional connection of caring with her. It's a very surface relationship with most of the people that she knows I've noticed. Um, We'll go a little bit into her past. Um, Like I said, she's middle-aged, like over 45, we'll say. Um, She was born into a family with a number of siblings. Um, I don't don't really know how close they were as children. I sort of got the vibe uh, that they were all coexisting in the same tense and traumatic and unstable atmosphere. I'm sure their bond was survivalist. Um, I really don't know about the emotional connections. Uh, I do know that her family tends to be the type that gets tight when it's necessary due to the fact that they somewhat interdepend on each other, you know, financially and practically. So the climate I'm describing is a family that's close knit out of economic and practical uh, interests. However, there's not a whole bunch of actual emotional closeness or support there. Um, her dad worked a lot, uh, two to three jobs at a time, and he was rarely home for that reason. Um, her mother was frequently bedridden or housebound by a mental illness. Um, she was suicidal and she was overwhelmed with taking care of the kids and she was deeply depressed and Apparently, there was no one who was able to properly diagnose or treat her, or the option wasn't there or something. But, you know, the mother did remain intermittently uh, mentally ill and unavailable throughout childhood. Um, She was sexually abused as a very young child 
by a relative who would come and visit uh, her mother in their home, and then he would impose upon uh, some or all of the children. Um, I later came to find out that there was incest throughout her extended family in at least three generations back. So all that going on, and it was a very young age. Um, she married rather young to a guy who was her first love of her life. She married for love at the time, and she wanted to have children. But after she was married, she had some difficulty conceiving. Uh, her first pregnancy was a tubal pregnancy, which is a very, very painful, catastrophic thing requiring surgery. And the woman's life is absolutely endangered. And of course, the fetus is not compatible with life. It w could never live, and you can't take it from there and put it in the uterus. That's not how it works. So very traumatic experience. And she conceived her miracle baby, her first child shortly afterward. And the child was born when she was 22. And she always wanted to have more children, but her only other pregnancy resulted in a miscarriage. So um, that part of her biological childbearing years were over. Uh, she was divorced from her child's father when the first child was still young. Um, the reason why she divorced at that time was she had started to go out. She had started wanting to be free and she'd started to go to bars and she really enjoyed it. She just kind of felt like she missed out on something and found something she really, you know, gravitated to and went with it. I'm not saying, and she certainly wouldn't say that it was the best decision she ever made, but it happened. And it's very understandable when you look at everything, the whole holistic picture. Um, she actually remarried uh, her ex-husband several years later, and she said she was really happy then, and she really wanted it to work out. Uh, they'd finally bought their own house, you know, et cetera. Um, around this time, she took on the task of raising another relative's child because that person was unable to at the time. Uh, this happened when her first child was a teenager, and from what I have heard, her ex-husband was not really on board with this, taking on this additional responsibility. You know, they had uh, basically a young teenager at that point, and then an infant would re-enter the picture. He just kind of was not feeling that completely. Um they ended up divorcing several years after remarrying due to the stress of the adopted child, the change in the household, an alleged incident of abuse in the family at large, and just a generally abusive, intense home atmosphere was what she described. Um, the next phase of her life, I just basically termed as midlife crises that occurred after her final divorce. Um, after her divorce, she met kind of a wild new boyfriend, younger guy. We're going to call him Ron for the purposes of this story. Um, Ron was kind of fancied himself a wild dude. Uh, he was always under, if not unemployed. Uh, he too had alcohol and some drug problems, and he lived his life basically much differently than she had been accustomed to. But she would be the first to admit uh, that, like me, she's got a bad boy complex, and um Unfortunately, Ron, uh, in addition to causing her financial stress and, you know, issues between her children and her because they really didn't like the guy, there wasn't much to like, he also ended up being physically abusive and, you know, just basically causing her a lot of, of trauma and havoc and instability, but a lot of back and forth. Um, Ron, as I said, was a heavy drinker, and at that point, her alcohol use spiked because of it. Um, she's not saying she never drank and enjoyed going to bars and, and, you know, getting her drink on before, but definitely having two people who share an addiction, I can tell you from experience, it pretty much puts both of them on a turbo trajectory. It just kicks up and kicks up, and, you know, it's just like you're feeding off each other, even if not a word is said. Um, at this point, you know, all the back and forth with Ron and the problems with the kids and just the family in general, her family kind of stopped, you know, messing with her because of Ron and all this drama. Not that they were ever super emotionally close, as I said, but, you know, they were backing off from that. Um, there were further issues in the extended family um, due again to some allegations of child abuse different perpetrator, different victim. And the family was kind of further polarized, um, half on one side and half on the other. 
I mean, let me state again, these were allegations. And, you know, they were shocking allegations. And that's why, you know, I reserve judgment, because, you know, I, I do somewhat know the people who were involved, and I just don't see that happening. But regardless, it caused an even larger family rift. It was a big, big deal. Um, Nellie would say that her father and her first child were her main support system. Uh, she and her child, um, I mean, they're not super close in age, they're 22 years apart, but, you know, emotionally, they were kind of on the same length, you know, um, he too had some, you know, stunted uh, emotional growth. And, you know, they sort of just stuck tight and kind of enabled each other in ways and just, you know, it was always the two of them for the longest, and they had a really tight relationship. Um, so, you know, her dad and her first child were basically her home team. Ron is completely and totally not to be depended on. You know, she had some contentious relationships with the adopted child and, you know, just some others in her life. And basically, she didn't feel like she had a whole bunch of people to count on. And I'm just going to add an aside here that most of the reason why she did not have a large support system is because of the company that she was keeping. She met a lot more party friends when she was with Ron, and her focus changed. And of course, you know, hung out with a lot of younger people and friends of her child and, you know, just completely had different priorities. She was not attracting or spending time with people who had the wherewithal or the interest in you know, helping her and being supportive. They really didn't have that that good of command of their own lives. Um, while she and Ron were off and on for like over 15 years, she did date some other men intermittently when they'd be broken up. And they were described as much better men, treated her much better. They had more money, um, more stability, and she just did not feel the same about them, she said. She could not make a healthy relationship work and was just sort of turned off by the stability and the good treatment, just didn't really know what to do with it. And that's pretty common, too. Um, The self-esteem issues and the trauma responses and the emotional immaturity that you have as a as a victim of trauma um, really doesn't allow you to foster healthy attachments. You are used to very poor treatment and a lot of pain and a lot of depression, um, disappointment. So when you receive that later in life from other interpersonal relationships, especially romantic ones, your threshold for bullshit is a lot higher. So without that self-esteem and those standards and belief in yourself uh, that there is something better and that you deserve it, you're going to stay in a lot of unsatisfying situations. And you're also not going to find stable situations to be something that you can openly desire because they're so unfamiliar to you. And you intrinsically feel like you're not even worth worth a normal, healthy situation. Um, like I said before, during this time period, uh, Nellie gained many friendships with people that were much younger than she. Um drinking buddies, party buddies. Uh, She hung out frequently with her older child's friend group, allowed them to come over frequently. She definitely was a friend mom rather than a mom mom, but she was a very loving mom. She worked her ass off to get her kids all the special things that they needed, even though life was not always financially easy. Um, She really was a very loving person, an over loving person, as I described earlier. Um, during this era, she became disabled and she lost her career. Um, she had worked in a professional trade, uh, type job and due to an accident that was related to alcohol, she injured herself to the point where she could no longer perform this work and she had to go on disability. Um, she, when she got on disability, uh, finally got it after a long time trying, and she started being on a fixed income and had spent through that retro pay, the trouble intensified. You know, she was already having trouble managing money because of, the, you know, the, the deadbeat boyfriend and, you know, other issues. And now she's on a lesser fixed income, you know, no chance for anything extra, whatever. Um, I'm going to move on to what I call the crisis years. Um, This is like probably the last few-ish years 
um, maybe like five to 10. Um, you know, her on and off boyfriend was coming back over and over year after year living off her financially. Uh, I'm talking rent, food, using her vehicle, paying for alcohol for two, him taking her medications. And there's another point. Uh, after her accident and getting on disability, she was prescribed pain meds because she needed them. And that became a whole new problem. Um, as many people are aware of what happens out there, the endless vicious cycle of pill sharing, pill fronting, getting behind on what you're supposed to have, having to pay cash for street pills to maintain your tolerance and your levels for your pain doctor testing. That's a whole <laughs> clusterfuck in itself. Like it requires a calendar to keep up with all the flip and dips you got to do on a given day to keep everything running. And it's ridiculous. And these, this pill trading and fronting circle was now, I would say 90% of her circle at all. And there's another problem. Everybody in your entire inner circle is fucked in the exact same way. And you can't depend on them for ever anything. And in fact, being so bound to them in that manner, uh, puts you at risk of basically everything adverse that could even happen to them. So I mean, it's it's really dangerous. And, and that happens with a lot of addiction. But I mean, I, I really think, you know, this prescription pill problem is massive. I'm going to cover that on a whole other show, like the whole thing is going to be about prescription pill abuse, because it's so prevalent. And it just leads to harder abuse. Uh, when you can't afford the pills or when your script gets cut, then that's when people get on heroin and fentanyl and um, Dilaudid, morphine, all that stuff. And you know where that goes. Um, so she gets on these pain meds and gets in that cycle. Um, her alcohol use increased because of her increased stress. Um, her family's withdrawing from her more and more because the Ron thing continued and now the prescription medication issues. Um, like I said, her only circle was basically people that were completely in the same boat as she and not qualified to lead her out, not qualified to help her, don't care to help her, just basically a bunch of parasites um, onto each other in, in a circle, a never-ending circle. Um, during this time, her older child um, entered into addiction. Um, that caused a whole new offshoot of problems, you know, stealing from her, stealing from uh, Ron, having lots of people over, drug activity, um, risk of having someone overdose in her home, um, more financial issues during, due to having to cover um, the child's drug supply when they were unable to. And I'm not saying, you know, actually giving the child money. I'm saying losing it through theft because of, you know, the child needing to keep up their supply. Um, she then got kicked out of her original pain doctor because she had run out of her pill supply and her child purchased street pills for her so she'd have enough. And they ended up being pressed pills that were laced with fentanyl. Um, those are very common. Everything's laced with fentanyl now. But there was a whole bunch of pressed pills out there in this area um, a bit ago and kind of got caught in that um, tsunami. So uh, she failed her next urine test at the pain doctor because she did take those pressed pills with fentanyl in them. Uh, at the time, I seem to recall she could have had a chance to be reinstated at that doctor if she had attended a local rehabilitation facility and enrolled there, which her insurance would have covered, but she was not interested and she did not show up the day she was supposed to do it. She just set forth on finding another pain doctor. So that kind of details the resistance to change at that particular time. Um, after that, she was evicted from her apartment in which she had lived for many years due to her child's drug activity. Uh, the complex wasn't going to tolerate it and she was evicted. After that, she was homeless until she could find a new place and bouncing around, you know, to the few places that were open to having her. And she had her younger child, uh, accompanying her. And there were some problems with people they stayed with, you know, due to the younger child's behavior and just, you know, it's stressful having people in your house, especially if things are not going perfectly. Um, so she bounced around for a brief time until she could find a new place to go. Um, after she was evicted, she had, you know, the associated problems when you lose your housing suddenly, you know, you've got get a storage facility. You've got to get trucks, a way to move it there. Um, you've got to pay for moving trucks or buy new furniture or just all kinds of stuff. And someone on a fixed income who's kind of always behind the eight ball. I mean, how are you supposed to do that? 
So she did have some help from some generous people that did care about her getting all that done that time. And she did get a new place. Uh, She was seemingly doing well and enjoying her new space to herself um, until she reunited with Ron again, inevitably. Uh, Ron had secured some temporary housing, uh, being without housing because they were broken up at the time and that was his only recourse. Um, she hooked back up with Ron in the, in the spot that he had started partying with him frequently. Um, and then what do you know, when that free house runs out that the charity got him, uh, he moved right back in to her place when that ran out. Um, lost control of the money again. Um, it was never in control, you know, but she's further and further in the hole, um, due to his presence and the increased costs of having him around, you know, the liability of him using her vehicle whenever he wanted to, whether he was permitted to or not, just completely lost control of a lot of practical issues, even further than they already were. Um, her first child's addiction increased, which caused more money problems, drug issues, and risks to her keeping her new place, um, due to having him around there. Um, at this point, uh, roughly, uh, Ron gets incarcerated and leaves the picture for a period of time. Not super long. Um, for a while, he's, you know, out of the picture, but then he starts calling her from the facility he's in and, you know, slowly worms back into her head like most abusers do, most victims, and, you know, there it goes again. Um, after that point, her older child ended up dying a drug related death and she was destroyed. And basically her backbone at this time after her child's passing is her father, you know, just like usual. And he did do amazing things for his age. And the fact that that was his grandson, you know, he really handled a lot of stuff and she was so incredibly grateful, literally did not know what she would do without her dad at that point in time. Um, Shortly after getting through the most traumatic time of her child's uh, loss and wrapping up his affairs and starting to try and heal, her father suddenly died. So there's the whole home team basically gone. Um, I'm now at the point of her life that I'm just going to call the aftermath. Um, Like I said, Ron started contacting her from his facility and preyed on her vulnerability. Uh, He made her believe that her children's presence in their relationship had been the reason why things had never really worked out before. And like I said, she's completely in a totally vulnerable, broken state of complete depression and trauma and shock, um, losing her child. Um, and is just completely lost. Um, so Ron's contacting her and filling her head with, you know, baby, I've changed and whatever. And throughout this, he, as he normally did, uh, convinced her to give up her current place, um, give it over to the younger child who had just reached, you know, the age of majority, um, and they would get a new place together. Now, if you've been paying attention, there are extremely inherent, obvious risks to this situation. A. They are toxic. They shouldn't have anything to do with each other, much less uh, cohabitate again. Also, Ron doesn't work. Uh, Let me correct that. Ron doesn't work uh, consistently. Ron gets jobs, doesn't keep jobs. Um, You know, every time that she would be at the end of a rope and, you know, you've got to start pulling your weight. I can't afford all this. You're crazy. You need to get out. You know, he would get a job for anywhere from a couple days to maybe a month, you know, and when he did work, he loved getting that check and everything, but you know, guess what? He didn't contribute any of that to the living expenses. He bought just a bunch of shit that he wanted on Amazon, you know, instruments, all this and all that, but continued to consume you know, alcohol that she was purchasing, cigarettes that she was purchasing, eat all her food, whatever. So he, during the periods he was working, however brief they were, he still didn't contribute to anything. So everyone in her life is telling her for, you know, the previous reasons and many, many more, uh, 
everyone's telling her this is a horrible idea, especially her younger child was telling her this is a horrible idea and it's doomed for failure. But in her grief and just, I mean, can you imagine, you want to believe that, you know, maybe some sort of external factors, you know, somehow prevented them from ever working out. And maybe if they have a new start in a new place and all this and all that, then it's going to work out this time. Can you imagine her not wanting to believe that? Of course. Everybody's looking for, you know, a knight in shining armor, a miracle, a treasure chest to open and explode in your face and for something to pull you out of your hell and into a greater place. Um, Personally, I never had too much of a personal problem with Ron. Um, He's definitely you know, a loser. He definitely brings nothing to the table. But I also kind of made an effort to get to know him and and know him as a person. And I do understand him and I do have have a liking for the guy. But I hate him being with Nellie. And I don't approve of, you know, what type of man he is. And I know that he's completely and totally toxic for her. So my feelings are conflicted. But overall, I want this over with for her, um, the relationship. But she does go ahead and uh, move out with Ron. Um, and of course, as anyone in the world could see, you know, Ray Charles could see it from the moon. Uh, it didn't work out. She ended up losing huge financially because her account was already overdrawn. She was already overextended. Ron, again, would not work or keep a job. Um, stole her alcohol and her medicine, you know, domestically abused her emotional, physical, all that. Just same thing he always did. Absolutely the same. Except he was almost around more than he'd been in the past. I I don't even know. But the environment was toxic from the get-go. I do not recall her after she moved to that new property with Ron ever expressing anything but stress. And this was a mistake. He needs to get the fuck out. Blah, blah, blah. So, um... In the end, she had to leave the property that she had just moved to and lost so much money on and basically had all of her possessions at. She had to leave the property with nowhere to go. And predictably, her younger child, with whom she has always had a contentious relationship, um, he's a little difficult, even though he's extremely smart and is, you know, really, really cool um, at times and very, very prescient and, and helpful. He's never literally told me anything that didn't end up happening. And people tend not to listen to him because he does conduct himself differently. He's kind of a jerk sometimes and he's rather off-putting, but he's a great person. They just butt heads quite a bit. He's got a lot of resentment against her for introducing Ron into his life and that greatly colored his childhood. And, you know, he basically blames the entire thing on her and Ron. Yeah, I'm sure that was a huge part of it. That would have really sucked having a guy like that introduced into your uh, previously, you know, somewhat normal home life and, you know, all the all the ways that her life nosedived with him in it. So I can't really blame the kid. I'm sure there was much more to it than just, you know, her and Ron. But in his mind, that was such a large occurrence that it seems like, quote, the only problem. It's definitely not. But I do understand the relationship between them on both sides. It's contentious and it's, you know, full of pain and, you know, often very hurtful things are said. So he's stuck to his bottom line. He would not let her come back uh, to the previous apartment where that he was now occupying due to the fact that it was her own fault, as he said. And, you know, people need to crack down on, you know, her decisions and it's time for, you know, rock bottom, tough love. And, you know, I I get that he feels stressed with her presence and the issues that she continues to have. And it's especially frustrating because, you know, everybody's foreseen this and everyone is advised against it and it still happened. And even a saint runs out of patience when, you know, things like that keep occurring. I understand both sides of it. She raised him and didn't have to. And therefore, he should owe her, you know, at least shelter from the elements, you know, or to help her eat when he has food. But I also understand uh, him wanting to make a break from that as an adult. And he was assured that he could. And now the situation changed to, to no fault of his own. I get him and I get her. It's just 
there's so much trauma on both sides, it's impossible to extricate. It, it really just bounces back and forth between each other. Um, you know, when she left this property with nowhere to go, she, of course, as I described earlier, didn't have many functional or truly helpful friends when she needed somewhere to stay or a hand or to be fed, and no family members would allow her into their homes either, or really even financially help her even to eat in a day. And that's their own business. They had reached some sort of a point uh, long ago, and then especially since the father's passing, now that her mother and father were both passed, you know, a lot of people's family structure kind of gets very lax or falls apart when, you know, the patriarch and matriarch die, but this was somewhat more profound. Um, uh, it's hard for me to say because on the side that I observe, um, I don't know too many of her extended family members that um, have had a good relationship with her in life. Uh, I completely understand um, the desire not to engage when somebody is repeating bad mistakes so that, you know, it doesn't bleed on you. But um, I can't really judge whether or not they should support her. But I just can't believe at the same time that a family member would let another family member who had just undergone uh, massive loss in their life and, you know, really have no way of functioning on top of the ways they already didn't function well. I can't imagine a family member leaving someone out like that, but I used to think that on the street all the time when a bunch of addicts would tell me, uh, no, I really don't have any home to go back to. I have no family at all. I mean, most of the time that was a lie. I thought at the time, oh, you poor baby, because I have so much recourse. I have a supportive family. I have many supportive people in my life. I'll always have something to fall back on, and I'm so blessed. So I, from my uh, worldview, I couldn't see how somebody's family would just completely put them out. Then later, I got to know some of, you know, the addict's family members and heard the real deal. You know, they'd stolen from absolutely everyone they were connected with. You know, the, the relatives had incurred their own legal charges as a result of them. You know, there was reason to cut them off. But I, I see both sides of this, but since I love her so much, my sympathies are with her to an extent. I feel that it's obvious that she is um, below normal adult function as far as you know lo- life skills, coping skills, relationship skills, and she should be embraced and helped, not shunned. Um, everybody you know talks about tough love and whatever. That's definitely had its place, but I tend to believe at this point in time in gentle love because I had the best of intentions I could ever have and tough love never had any effect on Mike. It just gave us conflicts where he felt separated from me, which hurt him and me a lot. So I'm taking a different approach and I wish that more people would come to this conclusion, but I didn't have their experience with, you know, said person. I can't really say who's right or wrong. Um, When she left that property, she lost most of her material possessions, including those of her late child and her deceased parents. Um, Obviously, she left on bad terms. There was a whole bunch of rigmarole back and forth. You know, she wasn't allowed to have her stuff. The stuff was being held on account of X. It would be released when, you know, X and Y were satisfied. And usually the X and Y were Ron insisting that she call or contact him or else he would not release the belongings. Meanwhile, he was not even the owner of the house and all this and all that, but it's just power move of a desperate abuser who's losing their meal ticket, period. Nothing else. Um, So here she is, completely at rock bottom, completely dependent on the very few real friends and family that she has. Um, Like I said, her family had more or less totally cut her off after her father had passed. Um... I really wanted to help her, and this was before I, I got my, you know, podcast idea and uh, brought it to life. So I had a little bit more time, and I worked very tirelessly to find her some help or grants or, you know, something from a ministry or a foundation, um, you know, find her temporary shelter, get her grants for relocation, but you know, as they should. Um, All of these required registering with some sort of a public help agency and actually getting help. And she rebuffed all my suggestions. She 
did not want to do the solutions I'd found because of the other work that they entailed. Um, Some of them she flat shut down and some of them she said she'd think about. And I was getting panicked at this time because I really love this person and I really, really wanted to, um, you know, stop the bleeding and turn things around. But I just was not able to reach her and it brought up, you know, some familiar feelings of helplessness that I experienced with Mike's addiction and with my own and my desire to get her set, you know, so to speak, was overtaking me. So I kind of had to step back for a minute and just understand that all of my fervent interventions on other people have not worked until they get to that point mentally where they're ready to change. So I kind of hit the chill for a little bit. Um, Right after this, she was also cut off by her current pain doctor due to someone uh, related to the household situation, I'm sure, calling her doctor and making an anonymous report about her as an act of revenge so that she would lose her prescription. And, you know, that sounds like the pettiest shit you've ever heard. And it absolutely is. But you cannot believe how often that happens. When someone uh, has a dust up with someone who is on prescription pills, and they are going to separate with that person and no longer get the benefit of the pills anyway. And the foremost way they can think of because this would hurt them the most is to fuck the person out of the prescription. So they make all these anonymous calls. And as you know, you know, the prescribing controlled substances and narcotics is very, very tightly regulated. And a lot of doctors, including my own uh, primary care position, physician, sorry, will not even prescribe them to people. Like, I can't get them no matter how much pain I'm in because I'm a registered uh, recovering drug addict. So I understand that issue on both sides. But getting cut off your pain doctor is a huge deal. Um, Not only because you originally got the medicine for pain that you're uh, suffering, but Throughout your use of the pills, uh, incorrectly, you've increased your tolerance, you really, really need them, you need more than you ever had prescribed, and now you have none prescribed. So you've just lost a bunch of stuff for you to use. And for your comfort and addiction purposes, you just lost a bunch of cash because prescription pills are, you know, money, money on street value. And, you know, you've lost the functionality of the primary uh, circle in your life, which you know, when you're addicted to opiates is your using circle, your trading circle. Um, So that was a big problem. And now having been kicked out of two pain doctors, uh, I don't even know how easy it is to find another one, but it seemed like a pretty daunting task. And at this time, I was tempted to say, you know, is there any possible way you can just wean off this somehow and not go through all this hassle anymore? But she does have pain, but this, but that, you know, it, it's just an impossible situation. And nobody's going to get, you know, to that point where they really, really hear you until they are personally ready. So it's frustrating on the side of the person trying to save. And the person, you know, who's trying to be saved just shuts down. And you're at an impasse again. Um, she finally received temporary shelter of her own, thanks to ministry help that we've been waiting quite some time for it to come through. And when she gets this shelter and is able to alleviate, you know, just that huge worry every day of where she's going to be. I mean, she was in her car half the time. But once with that uh, burden was lifted and she had a place to stay for a limited time, she had some alone time to finally to reflect on her state of her life, uh, the things that she doesn't want to repeat anymore, um, starting to try to process her grief from both her child and her father's passing. And, you know, taking an inventory of everything that she had lost. And that was significant. Um, And with all this reflection time, she came to the conclusion that she is going to uh, taper down and then stop using alcohol to deal with her problems. Um, She's cut off relations with Ron permanently at this point. And this is a much longer time of no contact than it normally is. So I'm hopeful And um, she also decided that if she does not get a new pain doctor without incident, she is going to stop using the medication altogether because it's not worth the hassle and all the losses she's incurred. Um, Currently, she's able to save for a new place and she's trying to fix her finances, you know, having been behind the eight ball for so long and then losing big on that property. um, You know, she was in really dire straits. 
Um, she's now gotten into weekly therapy, like I originally suggested in order to get those grant programs, but she's going for her. Um, she's going to, you know, address her childhood trauma, her life choices, and she's going to get intensive grief counseling for the losses that she has, uh, experienced. Um, she's also just resigned to let her lost possessions go without any fight because it's not worth it. Um, she's a very sentimental person. Uh, her mementos of her child and her parents were very, very important to her. Um, I think the fact that they were held hostage and then later lost due to other adverse conditions of the property, um, or, you know, someone taking them out of malice, um, you know, she lost all those sentimental things that normally mean so much to her. Uh, she was literally kind of lucky to get out of the property with the remains of her child. So that'll tell you how hairy of a situation that it was. Um, so that's where she's at right now. And knowing her as I have for the period that I have and for what she's gone through, I'm extremely encouraged by the steps that she is taking. I have been after her for a number of years about, you know, the toll this is taking on everything, uh, the toll this has to be taking on her physical health, her mental health, and she has pretty much totally shut me down all along the way. But I did not get her into this therapy. And I did not get her into this shelter that she got into. She signed up for it first. Um, and I just followed up. She actually made all these steps on her own. Um, she's generally kind of overwhelmed with practical and clerical tasks and I've helped a lot over the years, but she went ahead and I guess she absorbed some of the information I was trying to throw at her and she went ahead and got this all set up for herself and she's taking herself to the appointments and making the moves herself, getting signed up to get another place of her own and healing her finances. I mean, I'm really encouraged by this. This is way more progress than I was seeing even like one or two months ago. So I'm really encouraged for her and it's taken so much strength for her to even try to do this. She's basically dismantling her entire known way of life. And, you know, this is later in life. You know, she's past middle age and she's gone through a lot of phases in life completely. You know, she's completely most likely out of the marriage game in the future. She's had an entire life and then death of a child that she loved so deeply, her only biological child. Um, she spoiled the crap out of them and just, you know, they could do no wrong in her eyes. She was such a loving mother. And she was so loving and so demonstrative to her children and, you know, the people around her. I remember there was a point in time where her older child, you know, didn't have a consistent appetite whatsoever because of drug use. So, you know, he was completely uninterested in anything but sugar and snacks and never at a normal time. And then the other child was on a very restrictive diet. So she had lost her one of her reasons for being, which is preparing a big dinner for everyone. And that's the way that she shows her love. And that's the way that she feels needed. And when no one was wanting to eat the food for various reasons, it would just crush her. She felt like she had no purpose and, you know, didn't get the validation of, you know, hey, mom, this is a great meal and whatever. So, you know, that's the type of a mom that she was. I don't know if she was overcompensating. I don't know if she was trying to get uh, excessive love back. I don't know if she was trying to uh, incite them to need her and want her around more. It could be any of those reasons, but that's how she demonstrated her her love to her kids and the people she was close to. She was a good friend. Um, she might not have had everything to offer, but she was and is a very good friend and just a wonderful lady. I love her so much, and I have so much hope for her recovery. She deserves this. We've all made mistakes, and she so deserves another chance, and I'm glad that She's finally been given another chance. And you know who gave it to her? Her. She did. And that's how I'm, she's trying to get in the future. She doesn't need anything from anyone but her. You know, she's lost her entire life and just lost her ass on having people live off of her. And, you know, just all the poor decisions and the lack of self-esteem and the lack of directions. She is you know, really desirous of getting to a place where she doesn't need anyone but her financially, 
you know, mentally, emotionally, where she's just strong enough to stand on her own because that's just never happened. Um, so we're going to wrap up here. Um, I just kind of covered the years that it took for her to reach her rock bottom. Um, I'm sure that she would say along the way that there was a rock bottom-esque occurrence probably every year or more than once a year. But like I said, the problem about um, trauma and the negative behaviors associated with it and the adverse conditions that those behaviors cause, um, the more shit you go through, the higher your tolerance is. And the more you just heap on new trauma on top of unhealed trauma, you know, it's like building the cake of trauma. You know, some people get a little Debbie and some get a tall ass wedding cake. And the longer it takes to make the cake of trauma, the longer it takes to consume it and break it down. And, you know, when the cake ends up being layered, the layers get heavier as they progress upward. You know, you start out with a beautiful, light, spongy angel food cake, you know, sweet and barely anything to it. It's like an angel on a cloud, you know, then progress to birthday cake, you know, yellow cake, white icing, fun sprinkles. Cool. Um, then, you know, life gets a little more substantive and you're on to carrot cake. Uh, next layer, you know, things are getting a little bit deeper, more sophisticated, red velvet cake. Uh, then we're up to German chocolate cake. You know, things are getting a little darker here. You know, then the next layer is like black forest cake, you know, ooh, scary. It's got like Tim Burton style black gnarled trees, like from the Headless Horseman movie. And it's got a red moon and all that. Uh, next is like a dark chocolate ganache with like heavy layers of fondant on it. And then finally at the top, there's like a really dark, heavy slice of pound cake soaked with Grand Marnier on like a matte black plate, you know, those upper layers are pretty intense and they're pretty daunting, but they have to be dismantled to get down to the sweet angel cake and the birthday cake and get right back down to where it all started. Um, the cumulative cost of Nellie's trauma and the associated behaviors and choices from, you know, her birth until her mid fifties, where she is now, um, financial loss. She lost her career and had to go on a fixed income and had trouble managing the money. And she lost the career because of an accident that was caused by substance use. Um, emotional effects, piling more trauma on top of the unhealed trauma, um, just making a chronologically much older person and then an inner child with like toddler sensibilities and toddler emotional maturity. Um, interpersonal problems, you know, loss of a marriage, loss of other relationships, loss of family relationships, inability to sustain a healthy relationship with a more stable man who had more to offer, um, personal um, pain and loss, um, the lives that were lost and the pain incurred because of them. Not that her choices caused the people's deaths in her life, but she was so ill-prepared for them due to her constant state of trauma and crisis you know, it, she was completely knocked on her ass by it. Um, her health losses, she's um, disabled now, lost her career. Um, I've been after her about getting a liver function test for years. I cannot imagine how all of the alcohol and all of the excess of acetaminophen in um, prescription pills has not trashed it. Um, she is also deaf in one ear, exactly like I am, due to physical abuse exactly like I am. I have been deaf in my right ear for 26 years at this point in time because an abusive boyfriend hit me in the side of the head with a 25-pound dumbbell. Yeah. Um, you know, she's been deaf basically, you know, over probably 25 or 30 years too. Um, she had spiritual losses, you know, loss of faith in higher power and in humanity, you know, feeling of hopelessness. And her father was a preacher, you know, her family was, was deeply religious. And I've heard her say deeply religious things that I was surprised by. Um, but yeah, I see how you lose your faith in a higher power because that happened to me. You know, I was, before my life started to slide really off track, I was faithfully attending church. Um, a lifelong friend of mine was the pastor, and I was really getting a lot out of it. And then when my life started crashing, I, you know, had the typical, God would never let this happen if there was a God. It's like, 
God isn't letting anything happen. I'm making every one of these shitty choices. Um, he's just, you know, noting it, I guess. And when I'm ready, there will be an opportunity presented. So yeah, I understand the loss of faith. Um, she had material losses. She lost multiple homes. She lost her marital home. She lost several apartments. Um, in the end, she had even exhausted uh, resources of helpful friends' homes where she could stay. She also lost most of her entire life's possessions, uh, including like furniture she was still paying on and all that, not to mention the very personal items, uh, clothing, shoes. You know, she really enjoys coloring and had a huge array of coloring supplies, all gone. Um, so her tab of loss is pretty large, but she's got life to, left to live and she finally has the fire in her belly to do better for her because she deserves it. You know, I, I have a lot of uh, friends who literally every single year on New Year's are like, this year's me year, my time. Don't nobody ask me for shit. I'm working on me and me only, blah, 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 blah. And, you know, I really had never heard from her that, you know, this is her time. She's going to focus on her. She's going to work on her. And as wonderful as it was to hear it when I heard it, it was also just very foreign. And I was like, what? But the great thing is never having heard this before really gives me a lot more hope for her recovery. I mean, yeah, let's be real. We all know that someone's first attempt at cleaning it up is often not successful. You know, relapse is by and large a part of recovery. Um, and either you stand back up and keep working on your recovery or, um, you lose control of it again. And sometimes before you reach another watershed moment, you die. So I am very hopeful. She's got life to left to live and, and she cares about herself finally. And I really think that she's going to make it and I will be there within reason every single step of the way. However, I can help her. That is not to my detriment. I will be there. Um, Nellie, I love you. I think you're amazing. I think you're brave. I think you're way braver than you know. And I think you're on the right track. And, you know, I would just give anything if, if it all worked out for you. I love you, Nellie. Thank you for letting me share your story. You're very, very brave. And I'm really proud of you. Um, so we're going to go ahead and, um, say goodbye. Um, really stay tuned for the next episode. Um, it's childhood trauma part three and it's entitled, um, no one ever is to blame learning to exist and function as a healing being. And after that, we are going to have part four of childhood trauma. It's entitled the scientist, uh, rewinding the tape and absorbing the losses. So, um, we're going to sign off for today. Thank you for listening. It's truly my honor to have you join me here and um, be well, be healthy, love your people and love yourself today. Thanks. Bye-bye.